0: Welcome in to a brand new episode of A Whole New Ball Game. Joining us on today's podcast, Dario Pizzano. Dario, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. How are you doing?
1: Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm excited to be here, uh, talk a little bit with you both. And uh, I'm doing well, you know. It's just another offseason, um, a little bit different. The last offseason at the end started this way. It's kind of still going. Um, We don't really know what's going to happen, especially me being a free agent. Uh, It's kind of in a holding pattern right now with, I mean, you get guys like DJ LeMay, who still aren't signed and George Springer. So there's a few tiers that have to be taken care of before uh, I get any kind of call, but uh, yeah, I'm staying in shape, hitting. I have a few facilities that I've been working out at and I'm ready to go whenever. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, well, so we're gonna get into the baseball stuff, you know, because that's what this show's about. But more importantly for this show, we've got two true Italian names on this show, and that is what really fired me up about it. So just what kind of stereotypes do you have to deal with having such a cool Italian name? Because I know I deal with some of my own end. So what what do you have to deal with on a daily basis from people?
1: Uh, my whole life I've been I'm from outside of Boston, so I'm what they call I'm known as a maffle, So uh I'm pretty intense. I've always been pretty intense, like kind of confrontational. I'm just that's kinda like I'm that's how I go about my business. Even with like on the field, any teammates would know they're like, Oh, they call me pizza in baseball, all my teammates. So they're like pizza's nuts. Pizza's crazy, all my whatever, you know, if I'm in a little slump, I've gotten better as I've gotten more mature. But it used to be pretty tough you know like I'd, I'd go slam stuff you know like some immature stuff but uh no nah, and then the one other thing is especially in post-game spread when they try to have like lasagna or something i just i just can't do it man we know what real pasta is about like and it's gravy i call it gravy not, not sauce so i hear about that i can't even deal with that i mean it's free food it's great we pay dues but there's nothing like good like mom's Sunday dinner like on the weekend you know
2: well the the best part about when you have lasagna and spread is that everybody's looking at you uh letting you know that there's lasagna like guys we get it we get it there's lasagna out there there's pasta you don't need to tell me I know um so you played indie ball last year so you were kind of one of the few people in like you know in that second tier like the minor league guys whatever that got to play um what was that indie ball experience like for you
1: I was, I was very fortunate. I mean, like, especially last year, no one knew what was happening. We were, I mean, all the minor league guys were sent home for, for months. Major league guys didn't do anything either. So I was a free agent and I was signed to a team, the Sioux City Explorers and the uh, American Association. Mm-hmm. And no, they, that team didn't really know what they were going to do either. The league didn't really know. They had been working for three or four months. They did an unbelievable job coming up with a plan um to get a a season in this uh last year and they ended up cutting the team the league in half from 12 teams to six teams and um my team the explorers weren't one of the teams but they had a um like a contraction a contraction draft it was a draft for all the players on the rosters that their teams weren't playing and there's usually um there's usually roster restrictions in that league. Like there needs to be X amount of rookies, X amount of veterans. But with um the COVID situation going on, they eliminated all those roster restrictions. So any team could have the whole team could be big leaguers. Kind of like that's how the Atlantic League kind of works. Uh there's no roster restrictions. So I was fortunate enough to get drafted uh in that uh the contraction contraction draft or whatever. And I was fortunate enough the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks picked me. And, um, yeah, we, uh, the first thing it started with the plan was to be three host cities and the, uh, the other three teams would be staying in those host cities to try to, you know, eliminate as much travel as we could with all the COVID stuff going on. And then, um, as the spring and summer went on, um, St. Paul, Minnesota opened back up and Chicago, um, opened back up. So all five out of six teams were able to have their actual home parks. The only team that didn't uh, was the Winnipeg Goldeyes because Canada um, shut down international travel. So they actually stayed in Fargo, North Dakota, the whole summer. We were able to get 60 games in and uh, we were doing the um, antibody tests weekly. And um, as best as they could, they wanted to mandate masks in the dugout. I mean, guys. It was awkward and weird at first, but some guys, they really obviously stressed how important it was to try to be as distant as we could in the dugouts. And, um, you know, just trying to do the best. It was still relatively new when it was all going on. It was only a few months in and no one really, the CDC was changing how many days of quarantine and if they're asymptomatic versus symptoms. So we were kind of learning on the fly and the league did a great job getting the whole season. And there was only one little, pick up at the beginning of the year where um, I think Milwaukee and Chicago played a game and one guy's test didn't come back in time, but they decided to play the game and that guy ended up being a um, positive. So they canceled that game. They postponed it and they um, just postponed the series. But after that um, we did, they did an unbelievable job. And I was so fortunate when thousands, hundreds and thousands of players didn't get to play last year at all. Um, and it was very important to me as a 29 year old, with like a coming off of an injury and a release that I had to get some at bats and to continue my career. And I, I had a very successful summer and, um, uh, I was very fortunate.
0: How would you say the competition was in the league you played at this past summer?
1: I think the competition was unbelievable, really. I mean, the the top two indie ball leagues are usually the Atlantic league and the American association. And, um, Especially when they eliminated those roster restrictions and those roster rules, um, and everybody needed a place to play because they—they they were. We, I think everybody knew pretty early on that they weren't gonna. They were trying to make sure a baseball, an MLB season happened. Never mind a minor league season. I think everyone kind of knew that wasn't going to be able to be done. So it was really important for <clears throat> for players that wanted to keep playing to get into the, one of those roster spots. Um, so when they cut the league in half and made the roster restrictions, uh, they eliminated those, the talent shot up, the talent level shot up there. I think there were like 25 or 25 to 30 out of six teams and 25 guys in the roster. There were 25 to 30 big leaguers in the league and um, a ton of other AAA. It was AAA, double-A AA guys for the most part. Um, so it was, it was awesome competition. I, I was very supr- pleasantly surprised and happy that, I was able to play with a bunch of guys. You know, the baseball world is, like, this big. So, you know, all guys I played with against over the years. And uh, it, was, it was fun. It was, it was a good time. Good job by them. Again, American Association did an unbelievable job allowing us to
2: play. So, walk us through the, the contraction draft you were talking about. So, did you go – you said you were going to be, you know, playing for the Sioux City Eagles, right? Is that right? Explored. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so did you go there and then find out they weren't going to have a team and then kind of go home and shut it down? Or like, were you just waiting on a phone call? What did that look like?
1: Yeah, so I, I signed with them. Obviously, I was holding out to try to get signed by an affiliated an MLB team. So um, in April, I kind of like it was three or four weeks after COVID really became a, a real issue when everything started, the dominoes started falling. And I was like, okay, I need to get on a roster like immediately just to be able to cover cover myself with a, with a season if there is a season. So I signed with Sioux City and uh right away, even when I signed, they were like, We don't know anything yet. We'll keep updating you. They were having the GMs and the presidents of all the teams, I think every week were having like a meeting on Monday or something and try to try to keep up to date with like I said, like the C D C guidelines and each state it it became like what each state had for their rules like so they were trying to stay up to date as much as they could and it was just like we were just told hey we'll let you know when we hear something weeks and and months went by and uh we we were kind of in the dark about it and right when it it happened really fast because they figured something out they figured out their plan and they i got a call from the manager of the Sioux City team and he was like hey like the league's not going to the league's changing and he explained it to me and then a press release came out and before I even knew that there was going to be a draft I started freaking out because my team wasn't one of the teams and I'm like are you like I'm just going to get screwed here um and there's really nothing much they could really do because it was it was all kind of like an unprecedented time where leagues were just trying to have to get something in better than nothing I found out the next day that they were having the draft and that I was going to get drafted as, as a veteran in the league. Um, and I did a few days later. And then after the draft, it was like a week after that, I went to Fargo, North Dakota. So it was it all happened really fast because they were already missing time. they were missing games. So they were like, let's go. Here we go. And then actually, um, with my fiance who has been working from home since all this started, uh, fortunate enough to keep her job, but, working from home. Um, We've done distance, you know, how that long distance stuff is since college. So it was like the first, the longest time we were ever together from the last season up until it was like June when we found out that we were leaving. And she was like, I'm working from home. It's the first time we actually packed up some stuff, rented a car and drove to North Dakota in like 23 and a half hours. Like we stayed overnight in Chicago and she stayed with me for a month. It was the first time we're able to actually do that where she could work uh, on her laptop and on her phone. Uh, So that was a nice little wrinkle that was able to happen because of this situation.
0: Uh, A quick follow up. Uh, You mentioned about the protocol stuff, but what about the rules? Were there any different rules like in the collegiate league I broadcasted in this past summer? They tried, you know, the seven inning double headers. If there were double headers, um, whether or not, you know, the extra hitters in the lineup, were there any different rule changes?
2: Well, Alex, to I, I believe, let me, I think the American League, the American Athletic, um, they use different rules anyway, don't they? Like without COVID and everything, don't they have a few little wrinkles in their rule book that are different?
1: Alex, is that for you?
2: No, 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 it, for you.
1: <laughs> oh, for me? Oh, yeah. sorry. I thought you said Alex. Oh, so if American Association asked, like, for gameplay with the COVID situation. there, Yeah, there was, like, no spitting seeds, like, little things, like, no seeds. Right. Uh, there never should be dipped, Like, they, but everyone dips, but they were really, like, can't have tobacco on the field. Um. Or it was, like, a potential ejection and, uh, like, fine and suspension. Uh, there was – like, the managers had to have – if they were going to go approach the, the umpires, like, they were they were going to have to have a mask on. And it was kind of like MLB. Like, they had to be far away. The umpires had to wear masks and gloves when they were on the field. Right. so after, like, gameplay, there wasn't really anything different. Nine-inning games, like, DH, it was the same type of thing. But they really – Oh, like, um, we had a bunch of different baseballs. Like, if you couldn't reuse a baseball, like, it would be thrown out of play. If, once it was in play, the ball would be thrown out of play once it touched fielder's hands and stuff. But, uh, no, I mean, other than that, there was nothing really different.
0: Okay. No, I would have seen, because I know, like, different leagues, especially, you know, some other leagues are trying out different things, like, um, what Major League Baseball is trying at different levels in the minor leagues and things like on those. So lines. I was seeing if I was intrigued to see if any gameplay changes were made this year.
2: Yeah. So, no. uh, with all this time, you know, you were you were able to play, but you've probably had a longer offseason, like you know, like everybody, because it wasn't able to go that full length. Were you able to learn anything about yourself within your baseball game, either mentally and physically, that you were able to improve on this year?
1: Well, I mean, I think I've just been doing a, a life type of lesson with, like, if there was any time that we really needed to just try to, you know, just roll with it. I mean, I've always been so rigid as an athlete. Like, we have our structured routine. I mean, I am so, like, I mean, you know, as a baseball player, OCD, it goes into routine oriented, kind of goes, spills into OCD and, like, superstition, obviously, as a baseball player. Um and there were just so many things, so many things, even from the off season where right when everything shut down, I, my uh, workout plan just stopped because I, I didn't have anywhere to go at first. I was doing like apartment. I, I ordered a bunch of stuff off Amazon, like try to do apartment workouts in a place like this big. I mean, I had to learn to just be less rigid and, and just roll with it because it was totally out of my control. What was going on? I, we didn't know if there was going to be a season. I mean, I couldn't have like, you know, if I didn't play a season last year, it probably would have been the end of my career. So I was thinking, like, if this doesn't happen, it's totally, like, not on my own terms where I didn't – I can't play anymore, right? So I was kind of like – I just try to do the cliché that everybody says, control what you can control, honestly. And I just try to honestly enjoy the time with my fiancé that I never really have in the off season, the extended off season. Like, my birthday is the end of April. I've never – able to have a birthday with like my family or my fiance or anyone like my friends or anything like that since I was even in college like we'd be in the season and I'd be with my teammates but we'd have a game that weekend or something so I was able to just enjoy like my birthday and and little things like that um all all the while obviously subconsciously being really stressed out and anxious about what was going to happen but I just tried to like I said really tried to it is what it is kind of like that. And like, and be less rigid with how, you know, I had my routine, but I couldn't, if something, there was like a wrench thrown in my schedule, I couldn't be really like freaking out about it because there was really nothing I could do and it did me no good. So I try to make the best of any bad situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I, I don't think you would still be playing the game if you didn't love it. Um, So where did this love for baseball come from for you?
1: Well, I mean, there are pictures of me in a diaper with a bat actually hitting lefty. And my grandfather, my late grandfather, actually, he, when he was 15, 16, 17, he was the bat boy for the Red Sox when Ted Williams was on the team. Um, Wow. Well, he, yeah. So I actually, growing up, I was diehard all sports, but Red Sox fan, you know, he, he, had that special connection he knew like he has i have the whole i forget what year like 1950 or 51 something like that the whole team black and white photos all autographed it's like to billy like thanks for shining my shoes um ted williams or whatever i mean it's crazy he gave them to me um it's unbelievable i still have them at my at my house back home in uh massachusetts but uh yeah, it started there, and I wear number nine because Ted Williams was number nine. He, he, put, my, he put the bat in my hand as a lefty. I throw a righty. He kind of like molded me when I was younger, and my parents would be working, and he would take me like outside in the backyard when he would be watching me, take me to a park down the street, and he'd flip me underhand like a baseball, and uh, I learned to hit that way, honestly. Um, and then rolling, you know, right into Little League, I was in the Little League World Series in 2003, so I feel like that. Yeah, I always loved basketball and baseball. I played them through through high school. I realized, you know, like after the Little League World Series, getting that taste of that highest level on national, you know, that national stage, they were at our U.S. championship game. We played Florida, and there were like 46,000 people watching the 12-year-olds play, like at the game. And we were on ABC and Brent Mossberger was like calling the game. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, I I wanted, I knew from that experience ever since then, I wanted to get back to that stage, like at the highest level. Um, I was very fortunate uh, to be on a team like that with, all of my best friends at that point when we're that young it's just kind of like oh we're just riding living the dream and letting it ride out until it stops we just didn't I, we didn't even know that's how you got there at that point when we were just kept winning games after our little league season and we just kept blowing everybody out and we got there we were all best friends and back home where I'm from like we're about 30 and 29 now and I still talk to all those guys like a lot of those guys are still my really good friends so that experience really shaped really solidified my love and what i honestly from 12 years old i was like this is what i want to do you know like this is what i'm going to do and uh yeah it was a crazy experience and we actually our semi-final game going into the um in the playoff round we were we beat lamar texas where which had like randall grichuk who was in the big leagues he was on that team um and we actually lost the next game to Devin Travis, who's been in the big leagues, um, and they're teammates on the Blue Jays. But uh, we beat that Texas team, and it was like one of the known as one of the better, best little league games of all time. Like it's on ESPN Classic every year when the like the week before the World Series, they play all the like classic games, and we were nominated for an ESPY Award that year wow. um, for best game. And the, it's like crazy full circle because like the team the team that beat us with the patriots when they beat the panthers like in 2003 that was the best game we came in second and uh i we got to actually meet some of the patriots and tom brady was there when he was 24 years old or 25 and they won the award and he shouted us out on uh at the award so just these crazy unbelievable uh experiences that all have been tied to baseball uh my whole life so it's just it was like, like fate that I had to follow that. I loved it. I loved every second of it.
2: So as you kept following your your baseball dream, you decided to go to Columbia, which means you had to start a new dream of an academic dream for those who don't know, unbelievably smart school. So I I went to old dominion and we would play Princeton a lot. Um, Every year I was there, we played Princeton and I had a few guys on their team or I knew a few guys on their team. So I would ask them, you know, how are you, like, what do you have going on with school? Because I would know that I would have, like, nothing due that week or something. And I remember one of my friends, like, yeah, I have an 18-page paper due tomorrow, uh, but I got to do it. I got to finish it up after today's game. Um, How are you able to manage kind of your baseball life and your academic life? Yeah, that was –
1: I mean, that was really tough. Um, I actually – in Massachusetts, my high school was, like, a private high school I went to. It prepared me really well for – college level courses. Um, so I was always working really hard. I always, I mean, my parents did an unbelievable job uh, teaching me that, how important it was to be well-rounded with academics and athletics. Um, and they always, my dad always said to me, is like, you never want to be scouted by a team, a division one team or any team and have your grades affect why you can or can't go there. So I, I always thought like, the Ivy league would be an unbelievable Avenue. Um, obviously academically. I mean, there's nothing like that. And then it's division one level. So I knew, like, I started looking at their schedules and like you said, like, even in spring, our spring trip, we would go play like big time schools, Texas, we would go to California. So I knew that I would set myself up with that kind of degree and, um, be able to be seen by division one play in division one level and be seen by division one scouts or pro scouts at that level. Um, but yeah, that was tough. Like going, going into a school like that, we were, you know, we were, we had a lot of resources though. Um, our coach, we had a, we had a academic, an academic advisor and our guidance counselor who was also like a second academic advisor. There was everything. Um, older teammates told us who to take like professor wise and like who was lenient with like leaving for a midweek game early or something or who wasn't like and we kind of had to learn from experience I ran into a couple teachers that were like you're a student athlete not an athlete student and we're trying to like dock my grade you know it it was tough but uh you learn um and you take classes with a lot of other teammates or other athletes you kind of when you're not going through your your um your major classes, you kinda know like the softer
2: athlete classes after you kind of find you find out. The easy yeah, classes. Right? You can say yeah, yeah. easy classes. The easier, easier <laughs> classes. Not I that mean, yeah, there's probably nothing easy at Columbia. Uh, so right.
1: easier. But definitely the classes that like I didn't have to focus as much on that weren't I didn't have to work as diligently hmm. like towards my major or the core. Like Columbia has a, a really big for curriculum that's why a lot of people love it that's also why a lot of people on the other end of the spectrum don't want to go there so for two years like my freshman and sophomore year I we all had to take like um, humanity like art humanities music humanities literature humanities I mean all like the well a math core like a, a science course so for the first two years it was it was actually the hardest and then once I got into like my, uh, political science major courses, I was able to, you know, finagle. I mean, and we took them together, like our, my teammates, my classmates that were also poli majors. We were able to study together, do homeworks together and really, you know, I mean, we made it work and you're right. Like what you said about your buddy, like there were some during finals weeks, we if we were in the Ivy League championship that was right when like finals weeks were and we had to just make it work and figure it out and there were like literally I went to practices and workouts when I didn't have a minute to sleep like the night before and that I always just told myself like all right it's one night you can do it like kind of back when pre-workout was we would take a lot of pre-workout drink a Red Bull before I'd go in to take the test and then drink another Red Bull yeah, it wasn't the healthiest way to get through, but you had to you had to get through, right? So, you
0: had to do what you had to do, right?
1: That's it. Yeah, we did it, and I ended up having success on and off the field. So that was
0: – it what worked out.
1: I'm sorry? What was your major? Political science. Did you go back? Um, yeah. I actually – so when I got drafted in 2012, it was my junior year, and then the next two falls, I went back and finished. I got, got yeah. my degree. I actually – you know, Columbia – even if there was anyone drafted, it was usually never a junior, so they really didn't know how to handle that when, when I had classes, and I had been invited to instructs twice, so I was like, I had to go around to each teacher and be like, explain what instructs was, and I had to do some papers while I was in Arizona, and uh, some homeworks read reading, like after the days at the field, but they were they were actually very helpful, the classes that I had, those my senior year, and then my fifth year, senior fall, Um, and I was able to go back there with my classmates who were seniors, and then my fiance is one year younger than me at Columbia, so I was there with her, too, so it was, like, also kind of sweet being on campus, like, as one of the only recent Columbia guys that got drafted, so it was, it was cool being back on campus, too. It was hard to do work while also being a pro baseball player, like, make myself do 10-page papers, but It was important to get the um, degree and finish school, so.
2: Yeah. How, what was the adjustment like from Ivy League to professional baseball? Um, Like, just the baseball difference, what was that like?
1: Well, I remember specifically, I got drafted by the Mariners in 2012, and I went to um, Pulaski, Virginia. That was one of their rookie advances. Love it.
2: Love it. Yeah, were you in Burlington?
1: Yeah, You're in Burlington?
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. So you know all about the Appalachian League. Um, I'm, from, uh, I'm from Virginia, too, so I had played in Pulaski uh, oh, before, before all that. So I had played in it back before everything was done to the field and how nice it is now. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the, when the Mariners had the Yankees took it over and spent, millions, I think, millions of dollars on it and, like, redid the whole thing. But when the Mariners had it, I was, like, from right outside of Boston, went to school in New York City. I'm like a big city guy, right? And then I got culture shocked. Like I went, I got drafted, went out there in Pulaski and we were living in a travel lodge, four people to a room, two beds, two air mattresses because it deducted automatically like nightly rate, whatever they gave us. So we tried to pile as many people. It was no wifi. I didn't even know places like that in the the world today existed. Still, with like, no Wi-Fi no like anything. It was like a ghost town and everybody in the whole town was at the game every night. It was like nine hundred people there. It was like the whole town. And I was like, what <laughs> I remember thinking like, what am I doing? Like I this is pro baseball. Like I thought it was gonna be some sort of glam, like, oh sick, you know, no, like, no, no. I learned real fast. But uh that's what becomes part of like the cool like so it becomes cool it's like you love to go through it with your boys you know like the other everyone's going through it so it's like that rite of passage almost like you got to earn your way through the levels of the minor leagues and uh man that back when I was 21 I I guess I didn't have to eat right sleep right or we didn't even work out that summer in short season there was like no, no gym there it was like crazy and I still did well I was like wow I guess I can I figured it out so I thought you always think you figure it out until you don't but uh yeah so that was that was a crazy culture shock going into the minor leagues going from we got way better stuff in college like team issued gear like all that stuff nothing nothing got an undershirt with a p on it for Pulaski. like that was it that was all
2: now did you ever have did you ever have like a an oh snap moment in the professional and in, in professional baseball where it just kind of hit you like a brick wall well going I mean it was like the third game the
1: third game of my pro career uh speeding from the Ivy League I mean it's it's d1 but it's like kind of mid it's mid-major like low level right so and we would go play those teams for the first week and a half every year but we ne- I never played – we actually played my junior year. We played the U- San Diego team with Chris Bryan on it. It was like that team was stacked. They have a bunch of big leagues on that team. But uh, in the Ivy League, there was – I never saw Velocity like that ever before. So, when I remember being we – replaying like the Cardinals. what um, Johnson, Johnson City? City. Yeah, Johnson City Cardinals. And they had this like Venezuelan pitcher on their team or a Dominican guy on their team. And, I mean – The typical rookie rookie ball pitchers like he was throwing 95 to 100 but one pitch would be like behind the hitter's head and then he'd spot one up and i was like oh my god like i'd never seen velo that fast i had to really adjust to i really had to adjust to the velocity because i could always i mean in the ivy league i was kind of pitched backwards so i kind of knew how to hit off speed pitches um but it was the velocity that I really had to get my timing down with. Cause I'd never seen anything like that before.
2: So on the flip side of that, at what point were you like, man, I can do this. Like, this is a realistic thing that can happen.
1: Right. So like I, I the hitter, the type of hitter that I was, I, I always had a very good eye and very good control of the strike zone. So I always knew like I could take my walks while I'd be trying to make the adjustment. Um, and then I was, you know, I was doing well. I was hitting like 270, 280 for my first month. And then honestly, I don't know. I don't know what actually clicked. It was just, it all lined up perfectly where my family came to visit the first time and my family and my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was now my fiance, I keep saying, she was, she went with my family and my grandparents were there. It was like, they made like a long weekend out of it. And it was just, finally it's the best time when my whenever your family comes it's just like you kind of stop pressing it's just like I just want to be I'm enjoying seeing them I enjoy the time like going to dinner which was Applebee's only after that There, like Applebee's every night for three months I don't know if I've been back there since 2012 but uh just couldn't wait to like get not get off the field but like I couldn't wait to shower and get out of there and go see them and it just I forget what team it was, maybe the Princeton Rays, but I think in a four-game series, I think I had like 13 or 14 hits. Like it was literally three, four, four, three, like something like that. And in a short season, you know, if you do something like that, my average like skyrocketed. It was only like 150 at bats at that point. And at that, then that's that confidence that I had where I was like, wow, like it doesn't matter how fast it's thrown, like I can I can time it up. I still have my eye. I wasn't chasing bad pitches. But when they came in the zone, I was doing the damage. And it was definitely because I wasn't pressing anymore. Like I have, this is the thing we say, I have to get a hit. I have to get three hits. I have to do this. And I was just kind of like not thinking about it on the field. And that's when it really started rolling.
0: Now, when you feel like you got things rolling, did you ever, I'm interested in asking players is how closely do you look at your stats? Like, do you look at uh, are you a big? It's, stat such, a,
2: it's such a dangerous question. No, is- it,
1: no, no, no. It's a great question, and I was, I was the stat guy. Literally, I can tell you my stats from Little League when I was twelve. I mean, I mean, it was always because, like, where I was from, Massachusetts, we were always, no matter what I did at showcases or trying to get recruited from high school, it was like, oh yeah, but you're from New England, right? So it's like it's not great baseball. So I didn't have tools. I was never known as like the toolsy player. So I had to put up numbers. Like the only way I was like, oh my God, like in high school, my senior year, I hit like five sixty with a wood bat with wood bat. So I had to keep track of that. I was like, yeah, I hit I hit that. You know, that how can you deny me even if I can't run a six five sixty or put on a a five o'clock five o'clock hitter DP. Like, so yeah, I, I had to know all that. And then until I really got into the minors, when it's 140 games in the minor league, like the full season, the first time I started really struggling, and that's when I that started to spiral. When I was like really looking at my numbers, because it could you could go, it could get away from you fast. Over four, over four, over four, over four. I mean, it's like, and that happens. And in college, it's a little different because you play the weekend and then you play a midweek game, but you have those weeks like of practice. It was we would play 23 games in a row, and I'd go like five days without getting a hit and it would you know so I actually didn't even really learn that till the first time I went to double a where I stopped um really focusing on numbers because I didn't really I actually had I had a first few good seasons and then when I got to double a that's a lot a lot of players say it's like a huge a huge jump from a ball and uh I was like I had the story in my head already. I was like, I'm gonna get here. I'm gonna make the All-Star team. I'm gonna go to the fall league. I'll go to big league camp. I'll go to. It was like crazy. I was never being present, as they say. So I was always like looking forward to the next game and the next game, and then I'd go over four, and I'd be like, Oh no! Now I need to get three hits today to make up for yesterday, and it it lost, you know. So I had to stop being that way. I'm still a stat guy, right? Like I, I can tell you what I all my numbers from last year, but I. Refuse to look at the stat sheet till the end of the season, and and as much as I can with every like scoreboard now they have everything up there. I try not to ever look at the scoreboard when I'm up at the at the plate because I would mid at bat be like looking at the scoreboard and I'd be like calculating if I don't get a hit. Here. It was crazy. It gets that bad, you know, when you're in the middle of the season. So I had to really stop that in 2014, 2015 when I
2: was in Double A. So as a as an older guy now, and as you look back on your minor league, you know, obviously you're still playing, so I'm not looking back on your career, but what is one thing you would tell a guy that, you know, this upcoming year is preparing for his final year in college, thinks he's probably going to get drafted or a high school senior who's looking to get drafted. What would your advice be to them on preparing for professional baseball?
1: I mean, there's a lot that, you just gotta. I feel like a lot of it is just experiencing it while you're going along with it. Like I, I had no clue what to expect, and I think even like which, whatever different organization you're in has different teams in different parts of the country. So I think, but just be ready to like have five guys in a two-bedroom apartment. I mean, trying to learn how to make it work and just focus on what you control and do the best you can. I know I. I mean, I was playing. In low A, in like 2013, and it, seven or eight years later, I'm sure like teams have made these significant advances in nutrition, like working out. I mean, the that's crazy how the game has changed even since I got drafted in and, and every area, even the analytics and all that kind of stuff. The amount of scouting, my, my scouting report from our hitting coach, my and low A was like, you got a fastball, he's got a curveball, he's got a changeup, like to throw away to lefties. I was like, okay, got it. Now, like, even in 2019, when I was with the Mets in A, we would come in and next to the lineup, it would be, like, the hot zones, the cold zones, each count, what they like to pitch to a lefty, to a righty, it, the shifts and all that stuff. It's crazy how much um, the information has advanced and the game has changed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just try to enjoy it while you're going through it. Because, like, there, I've lost, I mean, sleep, sleepless nights, like, going through a slump and I'm not going to get there and all this like I don't know will I be worth it if I don't make the big leagues and all this stuff I had to really get through all that a lot and uh you miss you know it's kind of cliche to say but like all the dudes that you played with over the years that you become friends with and they're not playing anymore and you remember the the good old days like the times that you shared with them in the locker room and and like even before an off day you go out with them and have a few drinks and have some food or whatever and, it's fun. Like try to enjoy, like enjoy the grind again, however cliche that sounds. Um, it's going to be tough and it's not glamorous, but you'll have some great stories when you look back at it 10 years down the road and 20 years down the road
2: and however many years.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but aureo this is our favorite part. Of... Wait, wait,
2: wait. Oh, okay. uh, before we move into balls and strikes, I have to ask because if I don't, my Jersey friends are going to crush me. Pork roll or Taylor ham?
1: I say Taylor Ham.
2: Wow. I say wow. Taylor Ham. You Hamm. must be a, you're a Northern guy then,
1: huh? Well, I'm not from Jersey though. So when I'm, I'm, I'm from Boston and I really started hearing about it when I got to New Jersey, but I know that's like a big, who, who says what? I always say Taylor Ham, egg and cheese when I get it, uh, but I know people that say pork roll. I don't know the differences cause I'm not like from Jersey, so I don't really know, but I guess it's a big deal with. From huge deal, huge deal. That's all
2: we heard about at school. Old Dominion is a huge jersey. Uh, everybody from Jersey goes to Old Dominion, and all they talk about is pork roll or Taylor Ham. So good, you're a Taylor Ham guy. Taylor Ham, I believe is what it's called. It is called Taylor Ham, and people have taken it and call it pork roll. I don't know that for sure. Don't quote me on that. But Alex, go ahead into what you were going into.
0: All right. Uh, so this is our favorite part of the interview: balls and strikes. It's basically good or bad question. So you determine, I'll usually ask the first question, and you determine if the question is a ball or a strike. And the first person to strike out, to get a strikeout wins, okay? So I'll ask a question. You determine if it's a ball or a strike. If you call it a strike, then I keep going. If you say ball, then Vinny has a chance, okay?
1: All right. Let's let's see if I can feel it out. Here we go. Let's don't don't feel bad about
2: calling it a ball. Rip us a new one if you don't like the question. Just if you so you're gonna ask me a
1: question,
0: and if I say ball, it's something like I don't want to answer. No, it's just it's not a good question. Like oh, okay. it's just like, and then but you can you can answer any of the questions. But okay, uh, all right. but yeah, all right, all right. All right. Let's go. I got what it. would be your biggest pet peeve?
1: Uh strike that's a strike um yeah i got a lot of them as a routine oriented ocd guy i mean one huge pet peeve of mine and this is so nerdy i guess to say but and it's like a grammar police like when people use the wrong two two and two or there there and there like i can't or your i can't like i don't know that's one very specific like pet peeve that it just irks me i don't know
0: well I agree. I'm like, it's sort of like, I'm not the grammar police, but like sometimes like I get annoyed, you know, my, my biggest pet peeve it has been seeing people tweet about what happened at the Capitol last week. And they're spelling it with an A and say, Oh, and it's like, no. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Well, That so, second part yeah. of
1: that comment is a ball. Let's just say uh, I'm not going to. Go there, but well, yeah, I like, agree.
0: It's the little things, right? It's like it's wrong. I agree. It's it's not right. It's not right grammar. So doesn't take that much effort to no figure it out. I mean, right? All right. Use the right there spell. You. Use the right spelling. So I'm ahead of the in the count, 0 and 1. And what would be your favorite TV show you've binge watched this year? Well, in the last year.
1: So, strike, good question. Um there's so much we could be watching the last like since COVID, uh I watched a bunch of shows. Um I rewatched The Sopranos. That's one. Must watch. Half through, I've seen it three times now. Um I watched Schitt's Creek, which was funny. I like show. Creek. Really funny. Really like David hilarious. Um There's been <laughs> Way back, way back when it seems like two years ago now, and I w- can't believe it's still quarantine. We watched Tiger King and uh, Love is Blind. Like, those two shows when they first came out, right when quarantine hit, that was like the end of March. I watched them in our apartment, and they're r- ridiculous. But those are just some, a few that I've watched over the, the quarantine
0: period. All right. So I have a chance to end the game right now. I'm ahead in the count zero and two. What would be. Hmm, I'm trying to see here. Um, <laughs> what is the best pizza you've ever had?
2: Uh, you know, that is just a ball. That's a ball. That's an ethnic question. That is that's, an absolute ethnic question.
1: The ball. There's too many good slices I've had over the years, especially since coming to New York. Uh, I can't think of one. I do follow along on the pizza reviews every day to see where I can maybe hit up. But in Hoboken, there is an unbelievable pizza spot called 10th Street Pizza. Uh, Barstool did a review of it and gave it like an 8.8. And it's right down the street from my apartment. It's, it's hmm. amazing. Yeah. But that question, this is too many good pies. Too many good places.
2: All right. So my turn, which one bringing Italian guy on the show, asking him about pizza. I mean, how much yeah. more stereotypical can we get? Right. Um, what is the best chirp that you have heard from a fan uh, while playing the game of baseball?
1: Uh, I don't know if I could say it, but I definitely <laughs> can't say some of them, but uh, I hear a lot of the, uh, Hey, you know, hey, Pisano, you know, I'm, I'm prime to right in left field, right in the corner, right where the beer tents are usually or whatever, like the bars over there. Hey, Pisano, like, do they, they even have sports at that school, you nerd? You know, go to the library. Kind of the cliche that, I mean, it's too low-hanging fruit stuff, but I've heard, I mean, these people get creative, let's say that. They like, they know all about my family's names i mean they get too they go over the top sometimes and i like the fiery italian from massachusetts that i am i give it back but uh no i yeah just kind of i hear a lot of that stuff oh the ivy league doesn't have real sports and you you geek and all that kind of stuff whatever i i if they say something smart i'll i'll turn around Give them like, all right, I'll, once you acknowledge them and they're like, yeah, then they love you. Then they, yeah. then you're their yeah. favorite player. You give it back, though. They said some really bad stuff one time at one specific spot in Omaha, Nebraska, when I was playing in uh, the PCL. Uh, uh,
2: we're talking about Royals fans here.
1: Yes, we are. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. We were playing there. And for whatever reason, it's one night a year, they have like the Omaha fire department go there and they host them and they give them, it's like open bar down there and stuff. And they're right next to the left field. And it was brute Like some of the things I heard, like I was giving it, once you really give it back, then it, it's bad. It just rolls. Like, but when you acknowledge them, Oh, good. Well, that's good. Then they're like, they cheer for you. But uh, yeah, I'll call that question a ball.
0: I am surprised that you call that. I I like that question.
1: I, I kind of like the question. I just wish I could really go in detail on on that really bad, <laughs> on that really bad one. So I'm gonna go ball there.
0: All right. So uh, the count for me is uh, one, one and, two. and two, and so I have a chance to end it again here. What would be one position you've never played at the professional level in baseball you've always wanted to play?
1: Uh, ball for that question. Uh, shortstop, shortstop. Like back in the day when I'm in little league, everybody's the best shortstop on the you know the best player is the shortstop. I remember being a being the middle infielder back in the day, but. uh, I don't really – my tools don't play to that position at, at the big league level, let's just say that.
2: <laughs> all right, time so up. What kind of walkout guy are you? When you put your music uh, on, what, strike, what do we got going on?
1: Strike. I like that, that question. I'm a huge song. like, I a lot of my buddies, they're like, oh, what a, you know, some of them don't care at all, some of them – don't think that much about it. The whole offseason, I'm looking. I'm thinking. Like, I have a list in my notes app. Like all right. I do, too. I, I've had I it since, like,
2: 2016, off. like, my walkout notes. Yeah.
1: Right. I have them. And uh, I'm a big, like, like, I like rap. So, it'll be, like, a rap song. It, I get, get fired up before my at-bat, which doesn't necessarily – I'm not, like – it's not t- taking me out of my game or my at-bat, but I'm, like, swagging them. Up there, almost like, you know, I got I got this guy, you know, I hear what I want to hear and I'm kind of bumping up there. So I, it really, it really does matter to me. Like I listen to it as I'm going up there. It like motivates me and like gets me excited before my at bat.
2: That's mm-hmm. a good question. So obviously I don't want to ask you about your offensive approach because there are some secrets that people don't want to give away. But when it comes to your routine, are you, you know, you've talked about being OCD and are you a very you know every day when I get to the park I need to do this this and this then I'm ready or do you kind of not necessarily wing it but you know don't know exactly the time that you step in the cage or take your first swing whatever.
1: Uh, some of the stuff like when I get there, it's not until like if it's a seven o'clock game, right about six o'clock is where I start. Like an hour before, I have from six o'clock until I go out there at like six thirty-five or six forty or. I'm locking in like I got everything pretty much to the minute not that crazy but I have my number of things that I do to get myself prepared and OCD stuff my routine in the cage I think as hitters we all have our our own routine like just to get our whatever we need to work on that day but yeah it ventures into like superstition like the amount Mm -hmm. of at each spot that I need to hit and like exactly what drills I do, but not really. When I get there, I kind of just get ready. But then, like I said, like an hour before game time is when I, here's, here's all the, uh, this the routine starts. Mm. Yeah.
0: What did you say? That was a ball
1: or a strike? No, um, that, that was a strike. That's strike two,
2: right? Oh, strike two. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. So, you know, you've been to AAA. A, you've been to double A, you've been, about as high as you can go without breaking through that glass ceiling. So if you look into a crystal ball and you see yourself playing in the major leagues, what does that player look like?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, He struck me out. I'll give him that one. That was a good one. I like that question. Um, I mean, I'm going to be a guy. I always, I'm disciplined. I always work hard. I'm always on time. I'm a good teammate, all that kind of stuff. Um comes to my game. I really, I feel like I've always been a guy that gets on base a lot. I walk more than I strike out, I think, in my whole career. I think I have more walks than strikeouts. Um, so I'll get on base, but I can also drive runs. in. I have some, some slugging. You know, I, I hit a lot of, I'm a gap-to-gap guy. So a, a lot of guys hit a lot of doubles in the minors, and with those golf balls that they're hitting, up there they start flying out um, I feel like I could be a hitter like a very successful 300 370 and like a 370 OBP type thing and then uh driving a lot of runs I feel like I could really help a uh, really help a team in the lineup and uh be a consistent hitter every day
2: that's awesome I mean that's what it's all about you know because I like to ask that question because you got to kind of be real with yourself and like, what do I look like at that next level? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was a really cool answer. Um, we have two final questions. Well, one's not a question, but one is one is the show's question. And that is, it's not the most important, but what is the best position in baseball? The DH. <laughs> well, the correct answer is first base, but that is the close second. And I thought oh, yeah. it an awesome answer.
1: Yeah. The D, I mean, if I could, I know it's not realistic, but it could be maybe with the NL going DH in the next couple of years. But uh, if I could hit 500 home runs like David Ortiz, I always thought as a Red Sox fan, he's got the best job. He got a hit. All he has to do is worry about hitting, like get up there, try to hit home runs, drive guys in. He playing half the game. He can yeah. put double the amount of focus on his hitting approach and in watching video and, all that kind of stuff scouting reports so uh oh yeah running out there especially the worst is when i have to lead off an inning and i'm playing left or right and we're on the other side we make third out and i have my routine so i have to dead sprint from like the other the long run over on the other side of the outfield, sprint in do my little like make sure i do everything before i get up there and i'm leading off and i'm like up in the box before i even take a breath i'm like Running in, I'm about to see the first pitch, so I hate that running the long run and then coming in off the field and hitting the next inning.
2: So, so I'm guessing I know the answer to this question. So, you like dhing?
1: Yeah, it's funny because a lot of guys are like don't like when they're
2: dh. But I was just having a conversation today with the guys that I work out with, and all of them, for the most part, it was unanimous hate dhing. Like,
1: yeah, I could, well, I actually had – you actually kind of, like, have to learn how to
2: do it. Yeah, learn how to do it. That's, That's exactly right. Stay
1: engaged in the game. like So I learned my sophomore year of college, I had – at the time, I didn't know, but I had a broken elbow I played through my sophomore season. I couldn't – I could barely throw. So that whole season, I pretty much just DH'd, and I had learned how to stay engaged. I would go do my eye wash, run to, like, the foul pole and back, stay loose, whatever, take my – mental at-bats, whatever. It never affected me, really. I, I was, I love it. Yeah. I, I like dh I just wish I could hit 40 home runs. That's it. Yeah. I, I could really do
2: it. Yeah. Well, I I still remember very clearly when I got told that at some point in my life, I'm going to have to learn how to DH. And I remember thinking, like, what do you mean? Like, you just have to hit. And I remember the first time I dh didn't get a hit. I was so rattled. I didn't yeah. know what to do with myself. Like, I got out my first at-bat and I could have told you I wasn't going to get a hit the rest of the game. And now, like, yeah. kind of as time moves on, it's like, okay, when you DH, you know, one, if you get a hit, your first at bat as a DH. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so over. Bad. It's so over. Bad.
1: You're sitting there for two innings just like, oh, you're good. Sitting you're there talking crap innings. to all
2: the guys who don't have a hit. You're like, what? I mean, that's just easy. I mean, what are, what else is. Yeah, that Everything is. Everything
1: after that's icing on the cake. Yeah. You get, then you get two for two to start as a DH. I'm. Um, in the clubhouse on the couch sitting there and just like, oh, yeah. And then the fifth yeah. inning rolls around and it'll be my third minute of baseball that I played in that game.
2: <laughs> yeah. My my favorite dugout conversations are – my favorite conversations to have in the dugout are on my off days when there's a pitcher just dealing and I can just talk crap to all the hitters. Like, what are we even doing? This guy's not even good. Like, this, everybody used to give me so much crap about it because no matter who it was, he could be some lefty throwing a hundo with like a nasty slider – and I'm sitting there like, what are we doing? Like this guy sucks. Like those conversations in the dugout when you're DH'ing and you have your off day and you're yeah. just essentially, you know, talking crap about every single one of your own players just because they're your friends and you can. Like, I don't know. The best.
1: I don't know how much you get away with that when the high at the higher levels with the salty guys that starts <laughs> to get a little chippy in the in some of those clubhouses, but uh
2: well at least the one that I was in, everybody was a good sport, everybody, true. you know, so to that extent. That's what I know. That's good. That's good.
0: And then the last question. Uh, this is Vinny's favorite one to ask. It is, would you rather drink out of a plastic or styrofoam or or plastic or plastic glass? or glass,
2: Alex? It's
0: plastic or glass. Uh,
1: plastic. So I don't have to clean it. I just throw it out after that. Like it's easy. Just water or something. Yeah, plastic cup. Toss it out. That's it. I guess, class, yeah. I guess.
2: And then before we end 30 second elevator pitch, blow yourself up on social media, tell everybody where they can follow, where they can follow you and what you bring to the timeline.
1: Okay. Can I get a little bit more than 30 to kind of go into that? Oh yeah.
2: Take, take all right. Much time.
1: all right. I have all major social media accounts. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dario Casano 25. Um, and this is actually something that I started in 2019. I'm actually partnered uh, with a nonprofit organization called MS for MS, Mission Stadiums for Multiple Sclerosis. Uh, my mother has um, MS. She's had MS since 1998. And in 2019, I connected with Sam Greenberg, who is the CEO of that um, nonprofit. And we've been making strides ever since. We donate all of our, uh, we've donated over $60,000 to um, the Johns Hopkins Project Restore MS Mm -hmm. Research Facility um, since 2018. And uh, we're actually one of our fundraising events, which has been tough because we usually do in-person events at different stadiums. That's kind of the cool twist to it. It's with athletics, sports, that's why I got into it. And they go to different baseball fields and different big league stadiums. Obviously with COVID, we haven't been able to do that, but we have a March Madness tournament Every single year. Last year, we had it all set up and then it got canceled and uh, we have prizes this year. It's going to go down. We're going to have it this year. There's going to be a March Madness this year and it's twenty five dollars to enter. Um, It'll be coming in the next few weeks. There are great prizes for the for the better brackets. Obviously, the deeper you get into the March Madness, there's like TVs. And last year, the main prize was actually going to be ticket to um, the final four. I don't know if we'd be able to do that this year we're figuring out the uh details but um that's coming in the next few weeks um follow um ms for ms let me get the handle for sure
2: yeah no doubt to make sure and that 25 dollars for the march madness goes to ms for ms right
1: all all proceeds go straight to the to our fund how much we donate every year every single year at the end of december um sam the ceo goes to johns hopkins and delivers the check which is in uh right outside of baltimore where he's from and um the last 2019 we donated 20,000. we were on pace with all of our events set up to donate 50 but we still got 20 even with uh virtual events um and facebook fundraising so um we're actually we have big goals this year hopefully we can get 75 75- to a hundred thousand dollars this year donated and um the handle is ms underscore four underscore ms that's on instagram follow us please donate any little thing helps i really appreciate it shameless plug
2: shameless is that plug. is that a four as in the number or F-O-R? four
1: four sorry four um as the number yep perfect we have twitter uh like us on facebook and follow us on on instagram too I really appreciate that. Get your brackets in, boys. You're going to be in yeah. it this year. Oh, I'm going to
2: do it. I'm going to do it, and we're going to blow it up to any of the followers that we have. We're Dude, gonna, you know. I was going to say, retweet, get yeah,
1: it man. out there. You guys got a, a big uh, big following, and tell everybody about it. Enter yeah. your brackets. Everybody mm-hmm. does uh, March Madness every year anyway. It's someone, something everyone loves to do. So give 25 bucks to a good cause, enter, and have a chance to win some really neat prizes.
2: Yeah, no doubt. We'll make sure that we'll make sure we get that link out there. We'll, you know, we'll do what we can to spread spread awareness on that. But There's the sh- here's oh, there the, we go, right there.
1: The hashtag is spreading orange. Orange is the color of multiple sclerosis. I've had a bad angle. I wanted to wear this, and I've been at my neck
2: up, but now I'll show it. There so we I go. That. There we go, right there. Um, well, yep. Daria, thank you for coming onto this. Sh-
0: what an interview we just had, Vinny with Dario Pizzano. Dario is great. And again, you can subscribe to the March Madness bracket and whatever. Big show. Thanks again for Dario coming on. We'll be back next Monday. So thanks again for listening and watching this episode. Be sure to leave that five-star review. And always hit that subscribe button on YouTube as well. So for Vinny, I'm Alex Hughes. Have a great rest of your week. And we will be seeing you very soon.